I mean, a professor of law from Edinburgh who comes to Botswana to set up or be part of the setting up of a law school, you know, and then which is something very formal, very serious, very, you know what I'm saying? And then he found the softness in him to go and find the story, you know, and just develop it and develop it and develop it. I think it's almost an unlikely, you know, um, yeah. The books are good, but also the fact that the writer is who he is, you know, a European, or, you know, British, Scottish, writing about Botswana. For you who are not familiar with Maramoto's home language, Setswana, that means good day, ladies and gentlemen. How are you? I'm very well myself, thank you. Talking to you from my home village, Mahalape, in Botswana, where I was born and raised in a traditional way. As a chef and cookbook writer, I'm deeply rooted in the food culture, and I know I have something in common with all of you. The love for the number one ladies detective agency novel series that takes place here in my home country. So dear Maramoto podcast listeners, in this new episode, you will meet Unity Dow, one of Botswana's most remarkable women. I'm pretty sure Maramoto would agree, not only because they are from the same home village Muchudi. Unity Dow is an internationally awarded democracy advocate, a human rights activist, author of books, former high court judge, foreign minister, and education minister. Unity Dow gave this interview at the Botswana Parliament on the 8th of March, 2023, just before she had her International Women's Day speech. No matter how busy she is, she takes time to talk about her beloved fictional friend, Maramosa, and her home country that is like the character in the novel series. A country that now needs a lot of reforms, according to Unity Dow, something she is bravely working for. So welcome again, dear listeners, to hear Unity Dow sharing things like her passion for reading and how the women's role in the society has changed since we first heard about Maramoto 25 years ago. Unity Dow, welcome to the Maramoso podcast. It's an honor to sit here with you at the parliament in Gaborone, the capital of Botswana. One thing I know about you, I knew a few things, but one thing I know is that you grew up in the same village as Maramoso. And uh, can you tell me about that village and uh, a little bit about your background? Thank you very much uh, for inviting me to this podcast. To, um offer my views and uh, yes I was born in Muchudi a thousand years ago um, and um, the village has changed a lot since I was a little girl it has grown of course as all villages all communities in the world grow over time when were you a girl in Muchudi <laughs> when was that thousand years ago okay I it was literally 64 years ago I was born in Muchudi you know almost 64 years ago so it would have been before independence, it would be for running water, it would be for tire roads, it would be for electricity in the village. So the village of my youth and the village of today are t- totally different. So yeah, that's what I was going up. So even if Maramotse is um, a fiction character, not everyone knows, because what is fiction and what is real, that is something not so easy to know because there is a, a, a lot of real places, are real persons in this uh, marvelous um, novel series. I would like to uh, think that you and Mara Motswe, you grew up more or less together in, in Mochudi. So what you know about Mochudi, Mara Motswe has also experienced. But what, what, what was it uh, to grow up in uh, Mochudi in, 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 in the 60s, in the 70s? And uh, yeah, and especially for you and you know, the family you come from. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I mean, I guess, I mean, um, anybody who's read, read the books or any uh, set of the books, for example, you know, would know that Maramonsa would have come from, you know, like a, a home village, would have come back from an extended family situation, would come back, come grown up in a place where, I mean, I guess, um, tea is, is, um, <laughs> is drunk, that one is a fact, you know, um, growing up, one of the things that, you did, you know, you always tend to dodge 
you know, uh, was trying to be, you know, the asthmatic, you know, tea was, is brewed, you know, by your mother. Uh, every morning tea is brewed when her family, you know, her friends come at 10 o'clock, more tea is brewed even in the afternoon when it's hot. So um, tea and sitting under a tree and drinking tea with friends, with family, it's just a way of life. It was a way of life. It's still a way of life today. Mm. I think we are yeah. fairly good tea drinkers, yeah. Hmm. You are a good uh, tea drinker like Maramotsu. Is it Roy Boy's tea or? Five roses and boss tea, and Roy Boss. Roy mm. Boss is, um, you start with uh, five roses in the morning because the black tea is good caffeine, but mm. of course as the day you know goes on, you have to limit the intake of caffeine. So Roy Boss becomes, you know, what you drink most of the day. Mm. You know, okay, uh, yeah. well I think we know there is a lot of uh, things around tea, really. And um, Mara was uh, she's a Roy Boy's tea drinker, and her secretary, Mama, could say is a uh, uh, Five Roses um, tea drinker. Yeah, and she likes to sit at the veranda at the President Hotel at, at the mall also, and, and uh -huh. uh, have a tea corner there. And mm -hmm. She's got her favorite places, but when she grew up, it was in, in Mochudi, your home village. That's correct. But she you grew up with both your parents. I know she grew up with just her dad because her mom passed away in a very early age. So it was um, the dad who works in the mines in South Africa and then it was her aunt, I think, who, who raised her also. How was it, how was it for you? I, I was lucky enough to have grown up with both my parents. Mm. Um, my, my mom actually passed away in August of 2021 due to COVID. So, um, in many ways, I'm lucky because um, at my age, how many people can say, you know, I have both parents when I'm over 60. So, even I, I mourn for her, but I still feel blessed that I've been able to, you know, you know, that she was there for most of my life. So, yes, I grew up with um, a family of, it depends who's counting, sometimes six, sometimes eight, sometimes 10, because again, family life, you know, or village life means that you grow up with your own siblings, but other people come in and, and out over time. Maybe the same way as it happened in Maramos, or maybe somebody's parent died. Mm. And come to a family, you know, until maybe another aunt, you know, can step in and raise that person on a full-time basis. So it's, it's very much what's my life, mm. you know, uh, the extended family system, the supportive, you know, system, mm. the inquisitive system about other people's yeah. lives around you. So mm. that was yeah. my... Mm. Mm. And uh, well, it really seems that um, the father Obed, uh, who was working in the mines in South Africa and uh, always, you know, never really wasted any money, just mm -hmm. invested it in cattle and saved for the future of Mara Motswe. It seemed that he also passed over, you know, really good values mm -hmm. and or. Probably it was also, I mean, um, her environment, the auntie, or how was it, was it for you? What, what was those kind of values, um, the traditional values? Did you, were you also raised with, with certain values and, and uh, what kind of values were, were they? Mm -hmm. um, I was raised, even though I say by both my parents, my dad work, worked away from home. You know, he was working for the government, so he went away from home. So we lived with my mom most of the time. My dad came, you know, at month of, at month end or when he was on leave, you know, from work. But in terms of the values that we were raised with, one thing was obvious education. You know, my dad had, you know, um, he was very, very clear, you know, that that was a priority. That studying and staying in school and getting good grades was a good, you know, was priority. My mom, I would say, one of the things that um, she always emphasized, um, oh, that's really the, I guess, the, yeah, the values that I think all or most of our children have is not to count what you give somebody else, not to always have to, you know, if I give you a pen, it must be a pen, to that um, living with, you know, um, and um, associating with people is about giving what other people need and receiving what you need. And so that life is not transactional. You know, life is more community you know, oriented. And um, it's, um, she always, I give an example, you know, always said to us that if you loan your friend an iron, which is big and more expensive, and that person loans you a needle, 
those two items are the same in value because just as you cannot walk around with your dress with a hanging hem, you cannot walk around with a dress that has been ironed. So it's not the value of what you get or the value of that you give. It's really the impact that it makes on that person or on you. So that's one of the things I always, always used to say you know, to us. So that is rooted in you and, uh, and a lot of people that grew up during that time. Mm. Uh, I don't know how it is now, uh, things change, but um, well, thanks for giving that example. Mm. I mean, one thing, I mean, um, like I said, my mom passed away in 2021, and that gives us a chance to reflect, you know, as a family, as a ch children, what do we think we learned from her, you know, uh, growing up? I mean, um, so it's, I mean, one of the things you always said, for example, is that there's a difference between going to school and being educated. And people confuse this. You know, that it's, it's learning how to read and write is not education. You know, um, it helps, but it's not education. Education is what the values that you learn from that, you know, um, from education itself. The impact also. The impact, which, mm. because he says, you know, you can go to school, you know, all your life and, and, and be, you know, you know, whatever, have a, have a PhD. But you still remain uneducated if you are dishonest, if you are unfair, if you are, you know, um, you are a bully. Because education is not just about, you know, um, the, yeah. It's yeah, also yeah. about, I guess, what triggers you and what makes you uh, think. Uh, exactly. Uh, you know, in a unique way, because if we all, I mean, we share things, of course, we need to share um, a platform of, of uh, common knowledge, but That's we also correct. have mm -hmm. to be independent thinkers mm -hmm. if there's going to be progress. Mm -hmm. And she believed in hard work. Yeah, if you, work, if you work hard for something that you find meaningful, it will always help and it will lead you somewhere. That's correct. So I'm interested in, in your career uh, choice, mm -hmm. not uh, yours and Mara Mosfet's career choice. Mm -hmm. we, we know that Mara Mosfet, she was thinking hard, what will I do with my life now when I inherit my father's cattle? Should I keep on uh, with the cattle and, and, and make it even grow more? Or should I sell it and, and start a business? And uh, uh, do you remember what kind of business she started and where? Um, detective agency. You know, she decided to be a detective, the first woman detective, you know, so yeah. And do you know where, by the foot of? Of the, the, the hill here, not far from where we are. Yeah, the yeah. Kali Hill. Yeah, not yeah. far from where we are. Yeah, not far from where we are, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we can all agree it was a really good career choice. And uh, what do you say? I mean, she's been going on being a detective now for 25 years. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, if you do it for 25 years, clearly was it correct? Clearly, it's, it's, uh, it's commercially viable. I'm sure she's very rich by now. <laughs> You never get a, a feel, yeah. You, you get a feeling she's rich in in her like uh, heart and head. Yeah, heart and head, exactly. Uh, I don't think she, you know, is like a, a gold digger. No, uh, like um, no, no. It was she never. doesn't live in a palace. No, no. Uh, I don't live in a palace either. So she and I are both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need to doubt about your own career choice. It's been uh, amazing, uh, from what I know. Uh, I know that your path was uh, law. I mean, coming from uh, Muchudi, the village, mm -hmm. uh, quite, if I may say, a uh, simple background doesn't sound so good, but you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. Of if, you, if you were born in Botswana mm. before 1966, mm. if you were born in Botswana before 1972, when diamonds were mm. discovered, you came from a very, very simple background, so there's no way of... And what is simple background, if, you may, if I may ask? Yeah, it means that you grew up having to fetch water, you know, that there was no running water at home. It means you grew up with no electricity. It means you grew up, you know, with probably one pair of shoes. It means you grew up um, having to walk to school. Um, so it means you grew up having to um, go and fetch firewood. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So simple background means exactly that. Mm. It mm. means you grew up with very few role models as to what you can do with your career. Mm. It means you grew up having never seen, you know, um, uh, a local doctor, mm. certainly not a black doctor, mm. and certainly not a female black doctor, mm. for example. So it, it probably means that you made your career choice having never even met a lawyer. Mm. 
you know, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, coming back to your parents, I heard, I don't know if it's correct, but uh, could they read themselves? My, my dad could read. Mm. You know, my mom struggled, but she, no, yeah, so she, my, my dad could read, not my mom, not so much. Oh, I, I certainly grew up um, in a, with a lot of books because mm. we brought the books home. I mean, um, I, it wasn't a lot of books, but the books. I grew up, in fact, my dad still laughs about it today, but he, he likes to tell the story um, that um, I, I loved to read, really from a young age. Since I could read, I loved to read. I read everything, you know, the, the, the catalogs, you know, the, 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 um, for clothes catalogs, you know, there used to be where you could buy things on, so there used to be some South African catalogs where people used to use to order clothes before there were many shops in the village. So that kind of thing. I, I would read everything I read. Um, if you remember just the time of people writing each other letters. It's, so I would, any piece of paper that had any written material, I would pick up and read. And I used to read, um, we had to collect water from, I would say it's about two kilometers from my house, you know, so you had to bucket by bucket. And that was, for me, it was the best time because then I could, I could read because I could have my head, the, my, the bucket on my head that I could read while I'm walking. And um, to this day, many people, I, I can read while well, a car is moving. Most people can't. And I think it's because I've always had this, you know, experience as a young child to be able to move and read at the same time. Mm. So I, I... So literature and, and, and books have um, meant a lot for you since you were a girl. Yes, definitely, definitely. There was a small library in the village, very small. I probably read every book in that library growing up. You know, it was my, you know, my haven, mm -hmm. you know, my, the place for me to go. I enjoyed it very much, so, yeah. yeah. So, and, and about education and, and the path, we talked about Mara Mosfer's choice to be um, the first lady detective in Botswana. So she started the Lady Detective Agency by the foot of Hill. And you, you chose the, uh, another path, not so very distant from what she chose to do, uh, but still quite different. But could you please tell me what, what, you know, where, what education brought you, the journey it has taken you, and, and, and you also maybe your passion for, for reading. And uh, you are now 64, you said, and you have quite a long career behind you. Mm -hmm. You mean how did I become a lawyer, or what has yeah, happened yeah, since yeah, then? Yeah, and, uh, a bit. Mm -hmm. How did I, I mean, how became a lawyer is, is a story also I tell because it's, a, it's an interesting story. Um, when I was growing up, I had never met a lawyer, as you can imagine, living in Muchudi. And um, so, and I made this choice when I was about 18 years old, because at the end of high school, you know, um, now there was uh, money from diamonds. So if you had good grades, you could go to school and do whatever you wanted to do, more or less. But not everybody was in school, of course. If, if you look at me, when I uh, moved from high, primary school, which is seven, days, seven years of primary school, to secondary school, you know, uh, there were only 25% of us who did that. So you can imagine, so 80% of my classmates, of my age group, did not go to senior school. Um, it changed now, but that's really significant because it meant that we represent only 20% of the kids who were 14 and, and, and had the privilege to go to high school, so I always remember that fact as well. But at the end of my high school, uh, making the decision what to do next, um, I was fairly decent in, in science, science and maths, physics and chemistry. And so it was suggested that I should go and do medicine. I knew I, was, didn't, I, wasn't, I, knew I wasn't one of the strongest you know, students in that. I wasn't bad, I was decent, I was slightly decent, slightly more than decent, but I wasn't, I knew that it was going to be tough for me. So I was really concerned about the suggestion that I should be a doctor because I wanted to show that I was going to pass that chemistry. And, and, and so, but it was expected more or less. That, so, and there's an aptitude test that you take, whether or not you have the aptitude to do it. So the University of Botswana came and did a test of all the kids who were, you know, 18 year olds who were about to finish. And I scored high, high marks. I was never convinced because I thought the test was too easy. You know, that, you know, some of those questions, I, you know, since I didn't have to be, I wasn't particularly convinced that I could do this. Um, so I talked to one of my teachers about it, that, okay, everybody expected me, you know, 
to move this path. But I wasn't. Also, the other thing is that I'm terribly, terribly, terribly scared of blood. Terribly. I mean, if you were to bleed right now, I'm leaving you, okay? So don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know? Even with kids, you know, I, I'm, if a child gets injured, I'm the worst person to be with that child. So I knew that I couldn't deal with that. Um, so I was concerned about this path that everybody expected me to take. But the teacher said, you know, okay, when the form came, when the results came that I'd passed, I could go now. But when the actual forms were for application for uh, now, you get the scholarship. She said, mm, why don't you write LLB? I said, what is that? It means I'm going to be a lawyer. I said, okay. So I wrote that on the form. You know, she said, okay, well, you had three choices in case you don't get your first or second. But it's a second choice. Why don't you do, you know, BCom? I said, what is that? She said, it means you're going to be an accountant. What is that? You know, I, I didn't know that there could be so much money in the world that you actually need people to count it. You know, this is like, you know, 1977, okay? So I said, BCom. And then we tried to struggle with a third choice. He says, okay, you're probably going to go to first choice anyways. So I went home and told my, my dad, you know, um, he asked, I told, okay, the, the sponsorship forms came, we filled them up, I put LLB and BCom. My father, like, flipped. So what is that? I don't trust that LLB stuff. Uh, why don't you write BA? He said, um, yeah. so Unity, um, you are definitely um, a very powerful woman. Um, I know that. And uh, Mara Motswe is also a very powerful woman. She wouldn't say that herself, maybe. Uh, she's quite humble, but I, I, I like to say that. Yeah, and um, she has an impact on, on, on people, and uh, yeah. she's a very warm, good-hearted person. Um, when you get to know her in the books, she never seems really to judge people. She, she's not like that, you know. She really wants to to know who you are and why you act like you do, and uh, and and she she knows there's always a reason why you do like you do, and uh, she's very curious about that before you know judging and what. And uh, so, to me, she's a, a a role model also in the way she behaves and acts in in her you know natural way. Mm-hmm. But I would like to talk a little bit about. Um, uh, the change of um, the role of, of, of women in Botswana. So when you look at the woman's role in the society from the time when you grew up in Mochudi until today, how has it changed the role of the women? Um, again, I'm going to go back to my mother, you know, because she used to say that um, we think women's uh, roles have changed, um, but what just happened is that they've earned just additional roles. I mean, women took care of children then. They took care of the home. And if you look at the Botswana situation, women, I mean, families lived in the village, at the cattle post, and also at the, the lands area. So there's always this movement. Um, but one area, the cattle post, would be only for men. You know, then there would be the lands where both men and women lived, and then the home where everybody lived as well. Uh, but um, she would say, look, you know, I had to take care of kids and I had to work in the field. Now you have to take care of kids and we have to go and work in the, in the office. You know, um, ca- you can't take your kids to the office. I could take my kids to the farm. So in some ways, your life is more complicated than mine in some ways. So um, it was always, you know, uh, an interesting perspective. But in terms of, yeah, what has changed, of course, is now the, the greater acceptance that women can be in the public space, in leadership, um, in public leadership. Uh, so when you have a move from a traditional setting where people, subsistence farming, where um, men, when, when you talk about public role of men, you mean in the quota system, okay, but now you mean in the quota system and also, you know, in the now modern leadership systems, so it's, uh, it's changed a lot. Mm. And has the society become, uh, become more equal? And um, I don't know, what, what, what is an equal society to you, mm-hmm. okay. for the sexist? I mean, I mean, right now, it's, it's a good topic to talk about because it's International Women's Day today, the 8th of March, so um, it's an interesting topic. But what is um, equality for me? 
equality for me, you know, is um, a society that um, recognizes the special role of women. I mean, that, that women actually, you know, um, they do care for homes. They participate in, in national building. They, they also participate in, in the global sphere. But also putting in systems that make it possible for them to succeed in those roles. Let me give you an example. I mean, if you, um, there's been a lot of, if you're reading newspapers recently, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, um, murders and rapes and, and just violence against women. There's been a lot of stuff like that in the papers. And, you know, people are looking at ways to deal with it. I say the best way to deal with it is to come up with a constitution that actually facilitates women's participation in leadership. Because, you know, I, I believe that every society um, is, um, determined by its leadership. The culture of any society is determined by leadership, whether it's a family, the culture of any family is determined by leadership, usually has maybe husband and wife. You know, if you come, if your mother and father are loud people, the culture is going to be loud if there's no respect. So it's a powerful people in any community that takes the, the culture. So the, it's important that the culture of, of Botswana be determined by both men and women. So that you can, then it seeps to other. Uh, so how does it look now? How equal is it, for example, in the parliament? We are sitting here in the parliament uh, between men and women, and, mm -hmm. and the leadership here. How strong is are the are the women here? In terms of numbers, Botswana is one of is, is the least. I'm sorry to say, I cannot speak about that. Within Sadek, it's one of the, uh, the where the fewer numbers of people in terms of percentage, um, women are not that represented. Um, we have a 61 parliament, member of parliament right now, and seven are women, you know, and so I'm one of the seven. But even then, it's only two of them were actually voted directly by the public. So four of them were specially elected. So you can see that there's a lot of work to be done. You see, you, you realize that when women self-select, you know, uh, because there are three types of leadership, okay? You can have political leadership we're talking about, you can have leadership in government, for example, which is fairly merit-based. You can have leadership in terms of chieftainship, which is, of course, male-based. You can also self-selection leadership, the type that we're talking about by Maramos, kind of leadership, where people autonomously, independently, you know, um, seize leadership. And you find that women succeed, even even, middle, uh, even when you look at it, they, they succeed when they self-select, in areas where you don't need a law to say where to be. You've, you know, in Botswana, you find. That's why I think we have the highest number of percentage of female business owners is in Botswana. That's when you find that in government, where progression is based on merit, you find women, you know, um, actually succeed and outcompete men. It is where you are now saying, let's elect, you know, that you find women don't quite get to the top. Because I think that election is influenced by the cultural notions of whether women can lead or not. Mm. Mm. So 25 years ago in 1998, the first book in the number one latest detective agency novel series was published. So what are the milestones for the role of women during these 25 years, you would say? Hmm. What has happened in 25 years in this country? Well, um, okay, first of all, I was the first female judge of the High Court when I was appointed um, more than 25 years ago. Since then, um, there is you know, a fair number on the High Court. I think the, the, the court is fairly represented. Certainly in the magistracy, uh, there's more than 50%. And certainly in, law, in the law school, uh, more women enroll in law than men. So there's no doubt that you know, um, in sectors where, again, people more or less self-select or it's based on marriage, there's been a shift so that women can actually um, are fairly represented or become increasingly represented. In terms of um, many laws have been changed in 25 years um, to make it at least families equal. Um, there's been laws that more or less try to push for equal participation in child rearing. It's impossible to legislate some of these things because really cultural norms all over the world, you know, um, also have a, a place to, you know, uh, influence those decisions. But I would say, yeah, a lot has changed. Yeah. Positive way. Mm.
So what do you think, what would be the impact on the Botswana society in general if there was more equality here in the parliament? You, you, you said there is only six women here in the parliament and uh, yeah, and the rest are men and there are 54 men and, and six women only. What impact would it have if it was more equal, like 50-50? Like I said before, you know, I believe that the the culture of an organization depends on its leadership. If there were as many women as there are men in leadership, for example, we would have a gender-sensitive parliament. What does that mean? It means that when we look at the budget, we would ask itself, is it delivering for both men and women? We would, you know, review our traditional notions of uh, even safety, for example, you know, when we plan a city, for example, you'd ask yourself, are all the, the, the corners of the city safe for women? We would, uh, you know, if you met, because people plan for themselves, people plan for, for their experiences. So if you had both men and women, you know, in parliament, for example, I do believe you'd have safer homes because you have a better domestic violence law, for example. Yes. And, um, I'm, I'm coming back to the, the traditional values. And uh, yeah, Mara Mosfe has many traditional values and holds quite old-fashioned ideas about decency. Old-fashioned seems a bit boring, but I think many of them are quite uh, beautiful and, uh, and uh, timeless. And, and traditional values, what are they built on in Botswana, if according to you? I mean, I think um, the woman just, just has good manners, you know, and uh, every culture has good manners. They may be based on different, you know, um, ideologies or beliefs. Um, in, in my culture, of course, um, respect is also age-based. So that my older sister, for example, will all be my older sister. She's always, you know, we call her our chief, you know. So um, even the eight of us, we, if we can't do every, we can't do everything without consulting her, or this she must know it'd be a shock. You know, I'm, my son is getting married, for example. You know, um, in, yes, you know, and uh, she, her views are very important because she is older than I am. So, and my dad, of course, and so basically wisdom is seen as age-based. The more, the older you get, the more, the wiser you get, and the more, the more respect. But it, it's, um, mm. it just makes sense, you know. If she were to come here, there was only one chair, I would stand up. Mm. Because she is older than I am, mm. and therefore, and it's based on, on, on good reasoning. If you're older, you are more or less to be more infirm than the younger. So all, all these rules are based on, if you're older, you, you have lived longer, so you, you must know more, you know? Um, so it's a, mm. so it's, it, it makes just good sense. Yeah. In general, I think it's uh, like that, but of course there are exceptions. I think uh, some people there are just born mature and wise, and some are not. Uh, they keep on, you know, doing the same mistakes over and over again. Mm. And uh, so you can only hope that that elder person, the elder sister, is um, is uh, the wise one. Uh, I, I believe that the major. I always believe that the majority of people all over the world are good, and only a small percentage of people all over the world are good, are bad. That's why you know the majority are out, out of prisons and the minority are in prison. That is why the majority. You know, people you know will pay taxes, and the minority will. So that's my my, my world view. Mm -hmm. You know, and therefore the majority of older people are going to be good. I think you share <laughs> that with Mara Mosu very much. <laughs> she uh, she always uh, believe in the good uh, mm -hmm. in people, and there is um, so uh, that's what she strives for, and and, and uh, what triggers her. I, that's my feeling. So, the Maramotsu books, the novel series, does not include sex, violence, gore, or bad language like so many books does. They don't focus on evil, uh, but more on the good that exists within every human being, like we just talked about. Does this mean that the readers around the world get wrong ideas about the society in Botswana? No, I mean... That is a, that's a perfect place, you know, angelic place where nothing bad happens. Um, I, I think it would be an unfair 
assessment, or, you know, when you look at a book and say, because somebody's talking about a murder, everybody in New York is a murderer, you know, or because somebody's talking about, you know, child abduction, you know, everybody in Australia, you know, you understand? So, but often when we don't know a place, when somebody's, when a place is not as well known, if I write about New York, for example, and a murder in New York, nobody's going to assume about the rest of New York. But if you write a book about Botswana or Zambia or Zimbabwe, you know, it's often the only window to that society, and therefore more people are more likely to think it is the only story about a particular place. You know, but when, when smart people realize that yes, it's going to give you a window, it's a slice, or maybe hopefully a wedge, hopefully even more than just a wedge of that society, but it's not the whole story. Um, so, but it, it is a good story, and I guess because. We are so used to bad stories, we don't understand how a good story can be a success. So, many times you hear that um, um, this uh, novel series, the number one latest detective agency series, it has a focus on the good things in people. I mean, there are problems, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, no the number one latest detective agency novel series, it has a focus uh, on um, a feel-good focus mm -hmm. because I mean there are challenges, there are problems to solve for a, I mean she's a detective after all. Mm -hmm. So, but it has a focus on on the good life. Also. What is your relation to Mara Mortswe and the book series, and uh, what are the impacts according to you? Okay. I mean, first of all, I mean like when the book start, the book series started, you know. Um, the joke used to be, you don't need to read the book, you can just look at the, the person next door, I mean your neighbors, you know, because it is so about, you know, normal kind of real life that, you know, um, you can look at your neighbor, you know, to know what Madame is doing, you know, or in terms of just her life, not necessarily the, the detecting, uh, but many of the things, you know, um, many of the issues that are depicted on the relationships, you know, the, uh, you know, the, Someone who comes into your house and you take them in because you think they're a long, long, long lost relative, for example. I mean, those are the kind of things that happen, you know, uh, in Botswana because most people read books and they discuss them, you know. So I, I think uh, it's heartwarming, you know, to know that there are good stories out there in the world about this country. In, is there anything you think? I mean, he's he's he has a certain focus, Alexander McCall Smith, when he, he writes a book books and, and some people think that you know he should capture uh, when he has this big um, crowd of readers uh, he should tell more about how Botswana is today but what is described is in the book are still there isn't it also and uh, I mean I, I mean I, I'm a fiction writer myself so I often say for for a writer I mean the sun says anytime that you want to set it nobody should tell you that you know there should be a, be a sunset in that book or there should be a sunrise or you know understand so you know, so um, if you want a different kind of book, then go and look for a different kind of book. I mean, every book, I mean, and the great thing about literature is that, you know, um, we have different interests and different tastes, you know, and, but everybody wants some kind of a good few story. I mean, at the end, you want to feel that there's, there's hope in the world, that there's, um, you know, yeah, that there's hope in the world. So, and the books, Suggest that there is hope in the world, and um, you know that's yeah. Also, to believe in the good in, in people, mm -hmm. that everyone's got something good, yeah. and and that could also generate more good, I guess, mm -hmm. if you hear. Yeah. yeah. So about the reading um, in Sweden, where I come from, we are a bit. I mean, the books are very popular there. Also, mm -hmm. Hakobita, I think, they sold most actually. In Sweden, okay, yeah, that's great. So, uh, so many Maura Mozart fans in Sweden, but about reading, we we are worried about the young generation. Not not maybe not only the young generation, but the reading has gone down. It's, it's sad. Decreased. Yeah, it is true. So I just wonder, you as an author and a, a book reader, how do you look upon that? And 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 what would be what are, is the impact? What, what are the impacts on, on less reading? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really, really unfortunate. I mean, um, I raised my kids on reading. I mean, so there were always books and exchanging books, arguing about books, you know. And so 
and, and books do many things. One of the things they do is they, they show you other ways of thinking, you know, because when you follow a story, it's, you understand, so they open you up to other, other ideas, it's even if, if it's even fiction. And also, it's also about language, because books are the, the only, you know, place where you can find that things have been edited, so the language is perfect, you understand? So there is no perfect language anymore, so people can't write anymore. I mean, so young people now, when they give you even just something to read, you know, like a, a speech, I mean, or, 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 or a document, you have to edit and edit and edit because they have skipped that part. If they had read and read different people, different, then language, you know, um, how you construct sentences becomes part of just how you write. So the reading helps you to write better. And with now, with all this, with social media, with short sentences, with abbreviations, I think really the art of language is disappearing because people are not reading anymore. We're not reading as much. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So, do you think do you think um, reading is also linked to the the level of democracy? How vital a democracy is. I mean, if we got a um, a generation that hardly reads, does that affect the, uh, the, the level of democracy? I, I think it does. I mean, f first of all, it limits the number of knowing what else. If, if I read a book, you know, by Macaulay Smith or by somebody in Australia or in Sweden, in there are going to be nuggets of themselves, how they see the world, whether or not they are saying it's how I see the world, you understand? So, and, and that gives you another perspective. If you, go to, it's, you don't realize it, but you are also um, absorbing in other cultures, you know, um, so when you read a book about Botswana, if you are, it, it makes you rethink your own life, you know, so, and, and so books are, are central, central and to democracy. alternative perspectives on things. Yes, yes, because it, um, it gives you an alternative, and this is, it's not just one page, because it is a collection of pages, you follow how, you know, uh, how somebody thinks, or, or the, the character that they've been created, what they do, you understand? So you, you agree with others, so you don't like others in the, the books. So that, that also you know, allows you in real life to interrogate the life around you. So I don't see how you cannot, how you cannot read and be able to be a, a full responsible citizen, to tell you the truth, because where are you getting your information? You know, snippets on television, you know, um, snippets on social, or Facebook, I, or, or tweet, Twitter. I don't, I don't think so. So how how can we increase the the interest of reading and make it more appealing to read and, and make people understand uh, the the impact and and what it actually does for you and and that it's, if you read you are more part of the society. Mm -hmm. you, you 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 broaden your perspectives and. I, I think children. You know, schools. Um, I think, I mean, I don't know about in other countries, more and more um, the education system is being focused on um, attainment tests, competitive attainment tests, and therefore um, really losing the other aspect, not focusing. I mean, um, in, in uh, recently I went to one of my, my former school, you know, and uh, we were doing motivational speeches because we've been there, there's different, a whole bunch of us. So we speak into the classroom and ask how many people are reading a book today? I think two people raised their hands. You know, how many people have read a book in the last five days? You know, how many, it's, it's sad. And I said, look, you, you can't, books are an, a, a window to the world. You know, the slice of the world that you are looking at. But if I, it doesn't matter what it is. I said, look, it, when, I, when I was in, in high school, you know, my, I was punished more for reading than for reading. Like pretending to be reading a geography book, we'll take the cover of the geography book and cover your novel with it. So the teacher thinks that you're actually reading, you know. You know? So it, was, it, it, it wasn't, not reading was not an option. It was almost an addiction to reading uh, because you just wanted to finish this book and then I'd finish another one. So, I don't know. Yeah, so, so um, you also, you, you were the the Minister of Education That's for some correct. years. Mm -hmm. So uh, what were the conclusions you, you, you made then around reading? And uh... it's, it's the same thing, you know, um, trying to get teachers to get children to read. Um, you see, reading is a solitary uh, endeavor, enterprise. You need space, you need time to sit down. People are no longer patient. 
you know, so um, it's you wake up in the morning, you want to check your WhatsApp, you want to check your, your messages immediately. So um, they're almost, they're, I mean, the other thing I guess that, that modern life is such that unless you create time for reading, you won't get it. You, you, there, be, there, be a, there has to be a conscious effort to create it because, you know, um, there's no knocking off anymore. You don't say it's five o'clock, I'm going home. On the way to home, you know, your messages come in, emails come in, you get home, your report for tomorrow. So there's no longer private time for you to do the private enterprise, the private you know um, project of reading. So, so what would be your advice uh, for people that actually would like to make it a habit to read? Uh, would it be to have it on your daily routine, like read five pages or? or even better, yeah. 10 pages mm -hmm. a day and, and, and see what, what, where it takes you and, mm -hmm. and expand and, you. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing, I mean, for, for me, one of the things I, I, I do is what I call you know, um, um, phone breaks. For example, I, I really, you know, especially on weekends, I will say, I'm not going to be answering the phone from this time to this time. If I know where my kids are, I know where my husband is, I know where my parents are, you know, if it really is an emergency, you'll find a way to get me to me. So you need to create, but there's a conscious effort to make sure that you don't have access to your phone 24 hours. So just, it's, it's a personal decision. You know, somebody, you know, say I called you, I guess you're one of your, your phone breaks. Yes, you know, it can, if, you know, it can be so important that, you know, three hours is going to hurt you if I don't answer your phone. Okay. Um, so even with, with reading, you know, it's the same thing. You know, it's to set times for yourself. So it takes some discipline, but it will pay off. But the thing with reading is once you start, you can't stop. Is it really? A page turn. Yes, yeah. and even even the habit. Once you go into the habit of reading, it's very difficult. To, so we lost it because of these newfangled, you know, um, contraps that we have. But once you start, you it's, it's, it's a it's a sweet habit, you know, in a way because it's a, it's a, you want to you know it's a, somebody's telling you a story you want to know next, and then next minute you want another book because you really want to you know you enjoyed the first one. You, you know, so. If you start generally, you will not stop. So please start. So what would be your three, like the three most beautiful things about reading, according to you? What would it be? First of all, I mean, um, uh, it's it's a self-love in a way because it is in a way talking to yourself through a third party. You know, so it's it's just you and the book. So it's it's it's, it's, it's a, I think self-love. Um, one of the things also is it, um, it's watching somebody's life, you know, but through your mind. Yeah, because it's not a screen. When you read, you're, you're watching, your mind only is engaged. And, and, and another thing for me is a calming, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine not reading, really. There's really not a, a, a complete life without reading. No, it cannot be, it cannot be, I mean, um, and it's really accessible. The books are there all over. The books are there. The mm. books are there. And now, um, I mean, there's a time when people with books are expensive, but now you can also get people online, books online. Um, it's expensive compared to what? You know, um, it's... When, when I was... Uh, um, just one last thing. So, long time, one of my kids was still small. The, the, the two things I always had in my handbag that I would give as presents were you know, these little toy cars, because they were very inexpensive at the time. Instead of a candy, piece of candy, you know, for a child. You know, little, those little metal ca uh, toy cars. And the other one was the, the Ladybird books. Because then they were fairly inexpensive. So you could actually have them in your handbag and, you know, to give them as a as present to, to children instead of candy, you know, was, you know, so that was, was my habit. And um, because it's, uh, yeah. So, uh, Unity, if uh, Mara Moth was sitting here, it feels <laughs> like she's sitting here now. <laughs> if she was sitting here now, drinking tea with us, mm -hmm. what would you ask her? I would say it's International Women's Day today, man. You know, um, what's your greatest dream for the future? Looking at, you know, what you've done in the last 25 years um, since your, your dad passed away, you know, um, what a dream. I mean, you've just done such great work. What else can you do? 
I think that's a very good question. I think she likes to sit and de- uh, daydream uh, with her tea, thinking of Botswana, um, dreaming, you know, time back and uh, good old memories. But she also thinks a lot about where she, where she is now, in the present moment, and and about the future. So I'm sure she will come up with something. She will whisper something to you tonight in your dreams. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Happy Women's Day, Maramut. Yeah. And also, I would like to ask you if the author uh, of the number one ladies detective agency novel series, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. or should I say Professor Alexander McCall Smith, we call him Sandy, mm-hmm. if he was sitting here with us, I don't know if he would be, be drinking tea or coffee, <laughs> but uh, what would you ask him? I mean, where do you get the, the uh, I mean, I guess the, the sense, the sixth sense, the seventh sense, to speak so passionately about a woman, um, so passionately about the country, and so passionately you know, about the goodness of the society. I mean, where, what is the source of that? Yeah. It, does it inspire you, the way he writes and the capture things? I mean, he, he, yes, I mean, he, he was the most, in many ways, the, the most unlikely author. I mean, a professor of law from Edinburgh who comes to Botswana to set up or be part of the setting up of a law school, you know, and then which is something very formal, very serious, very, you understand? And then he found the softness in him to go and find the story you know, and just develop it and develop it and develop it. I think it's almost an unlikely, you know, um, yeah. It's unlikely, but yeah. don't we like unlikely thing? Because then we get a little bit surprised. It's yeah, shaking us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess that's what makes it intriguing. It makes it interesting. It, make, it gives you that the books are good, but also the fact that the writer is who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, a European, or, you know, British, Scottish, mm-hmm. writing about Botswana. Um, it's, uh, yeah, mm. it's interesting. It's very interesting. Mm. I asked his friend, uh, I'm, I'm sure you, you know him, uh, maybe you even met him, and um, how... Everybody knows Dr. Harvard oh, okay. I mean, he's a legend. He's a legend, Dr. Moffat. Okay, mm. but I asked him this question that uh, Sandy McCall Smith often gets, how he can write about a woman so passionately, you know, how, this, how she thinks and emotionally and... Mm-hmm. and uh, to get in a, into a woman's brain like that. So Michael Smith, I think he says that he finds it, it's not uh, unnatural for, mm-hmm. for an author I think to so. write about a, um, mm-hmm. a woman or for a woman to write about a man mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. in an authentic mm-hmm. way. But Howard Moffat said that he grew up uh, with three elder sisters uh, Sandy, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> maybe that also is a little part. I never heard yeah. that before, but he mm-hmm. said so. So he was surrounded by women, mm-hmm. probably very inspiring elder sisters. Mm-hmm. So, okay. but I'm sure that's just part of it. I mean, it's just, it has to be part of it. I mean, I think, uh, um, I mean, a good author, you know, can. I mean, even if his main character were a man, he says to write to some women. He still has to write some other characters who are women. So um, a good writer can persuade you, you know, um, in that way. Uh, that because often you, you look at the main character and you think of the author and you put them together, and you, you assume personal experiences, you know. But a good author can assume you know, the experience of anything, anybody. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so um, no, I think I think so too, and. Um, so, uh, Unity, I would like, lastly, to, to, to ask you, what would you like the next coming Mara Motswe book to be about? Hmm. <laughs> what, what would be the next coming? What should Alexander McCall Smith mm-hmm. cover in the next book? What plots would you like to see there? Let's see, what plots would I like to see there? Uh, what plots hasn't he written about? I mean, that's, I mean, he's written about so many aspects of... There was one book, actually, when it was about uh, Mara Motswe going into politics. It was not her own idea, but she was approached, mm-hmm. and they wanted her to campaign and things. Mm-hmm. She was very reluctant, I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really remember if she, if she did or not. I don't mm-hmm. think so. Well, I, I hope she's sane enough to stay out. 
<laughs> or in why? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a messy mm -hmm. space, you know, and it's a challenging space. She won't last because she's too honest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also I think the impact she has from her desk, at not only her desk, out on the field, solving her case, mm -hmm. cases, and and helping people, mm -hmm. and. Uh, that's good enough, more than good enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is what is a better better feeling than trying to help someone out and and, and, and solve problems and, and make you know life easier mm -hmm. for one another. Mm -hmm. But I, what I also really like with with the books is the curiosity that she has. If Alexander McCall Smith comes here, mm -hmm. what would you like him to do? We're talking about literature uh, to to increase the interest. And, mm -hmm. and try to get people passionate about reading mm -hmm. and writing. Yeah, I, I, if you were to come here, I, I think I would like to invite him to a school. I think uh, it'd be great if he could visit a school you know, and um, inspire them. Yeah, I mean, to, because often young people have never seen an author. They think books come from far, energize young people to see themselves you know, in these books, but not only that, interest them in reading. Oh, he can really do that. I mean, um, I was with him and he was, he was visiting a, a Swedish school in November last year. And um, I think the teachers, the children, the students, they were also inspired, it was so uplifting, but I also think they inspired him a lot. Mm, yeah, yeah. As, uh, as an author. I'm, I'm sure the children would do that here, mm. the school children yeah. also. One, one last thing, you know, about cattle, we didn't talk about cattle. Mm -hmm. Could you say what, what, uh, what cattle means to you? You were talking about what books means to you, but mm -hmm. cattle is something that Maramots will often dream about. And, mm -hmm. and, and because she thinks back about her father, Obed, mm -hmm. and his cattle herd. And, and I think Maramots was very much part of that, mm -hmm. growing up in Mochudi. What, what does cattle mean to you? I, I delivered a lecture a long time ago called um, Diamonds are for love and cattle are for question mark. Because I think diamond, cattle for in this country are, all, are for love. Cattle are for you know, to celebrations. Cattle are for um, remembering those who have passed, commemorating the passing of, you know, of um, family members. I just came back from uh, uh, from Francistown, as I told my son, is getting married. And one of the things that had to be delivered live was a cow. So this cow had to travel 500 kilometers to get there. And moving cattle, you know, is not a joke. It's not, you know, you need a permit. But it's very clear. You can have the most beautiful wedding dress. You can have the most beautiful diamond ring. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But at least one cow must be, you know, exchanged from the groom's family to the female family, to the bride's family. And it must be alive. You know, so cattle for me, um, I, I have cattle, I can't imagine not having cattle. Really? Yeah. And is there a gender aspect of, of cattle? It's the 8th of March today. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, to ask you, is there a gender aspect of cattle? Or does men and women uh, love the cattle equally or have the same relation Passion. to cattle? Okay. Um, I would say generally, cattle are male family, generally. But in my family, my mom, you know, but and, you know, but it's, it's not even true in terms of ownership. You know, uh, both men and women cattle. But of course, in the, in, in the past, where cattle posts were so far away, you know, only men could really reach them. But now, where people have cars, that's changed a lot in terms of, you know, my, my, my mom always had cattle. But cattle for me, you ask, is it a, a male or female thing? In my family, for example, um, the age of us, only three women. Of those children, only three people have children, cattle and three women. So only the girls in my family have cattle. The conclusion here, uh, the final say is that you and Mara Motswe, you come from Wachudi, yes, that's a right. village outside Cabarone, mm -hmm. and uh, the, you both love cattle. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it it's connects you, and, and there are more things that connect you, but the cattle definitely. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Well, I say Pula. What does Pula mean? I know what Pula means, but what does it mean? 
Pula means rain because rain, you know, brings, you know, uh, growth and newness and, you know, I mean, you can't, rain, we need rain, we want rain. Uh, Pula, of course, represents, it's so important that even our currency is called Pula. Pula says hello as well. So Pula is a good word. Okay, Pula, thank you. Pula, yeah. <laughs>